0: I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review.
1: Welcome to this special anniversary episode of Cat and Kurt's TV Review. A little unclear about some of the themes. We want to thank everyone for listening over this past year. We've had a lot of fun, and we're looking forward to having more great discussions in the coming year.
0: In this special episode, we're going to discuss some of the broader themes that we've noticed in Doctor Who and Buffy, especially ideas that we don't get to address on a week-to-week basis as we delve into the specifics of each episode.
1: Before we begin, however, we wanted to make an announcement about our plan for upcoming episodes. As we've mentioned in our podcast, at the end of Buffy Season 3, Angel gets his own spin-off show. After much thought and acquiescence to Kurt, We've decided to alternate Buffy and Angel episodes in the order that they originally aired.
0: We wanted to do it this way because we believe that it will offer the best opportunity to explore the shows and their storylines as they originally unfolded, especially at times when their plots overlap.
1: As always, we'll make sure that you, our faithful listeners, know which episodes we'll be discussing next. If in doubt, you can always check out our latest blog post at kctvreview.wordpress.com.
0: Now on to our present discussion. So where do you want to begin,
1: Kat? <laughs> I, <know you're>
0: gonna <laughs> I, I, I was to threatening end. to do that um, Well, before before we started talking, so I figured I had to follow. up uh,
1: Before we do kind of start, I do want to say that once again, I feel like the TV gods are with us, and we couldn't have planned this better, because not only does our year anniversary Almost coincide with the point at which we introduce Angel to the Buffy verse you know so that's kind of a Mm -hmm. nice point you know we're kind of I guess going to take this as an opportunity to take stock of what's been before you know we add another sort of you know another another thread to that story I guess Mm -hmm. um but also for Mm -hmm. Who you know barring any major, uh, you know, delays in transmission, knock on wood, um, we should have another year to go of New Who because right now they're filming series eight. So this puts us at about the halfway mark for New Who. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's a good point to do the same thing for that show too, to kind of pause and take reflection and, you know, look at the past year before we go into the second half of That story and everything so um yeah it actually kind of works out um so once again couldn't have planned it any better than fate has decided but um
0: yeah yeah it's cool all all well and good well and and so i guess to start out with i'm I'm gonna answer my own question (laughs) that i was throwing to you um we we had talked a little while back, and I don't even remember where this came from, if it was from a blog post or or there was something that one of us had said um, about the idea of serial versus anthology storytelling and, and sort of uh, the idea that Doctor Who follows more of an anthology. Uh, the stories are, for the most part, singular entities. They, I mean, they're not always one episode, mm-hmm. but they're 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 usually contained units there's not a lot of you know large series or season long arcs yeah. uh you know that go with them versus buffy which does tend to have mm-hmm. those now um i don't want to make the distinction too severe because of course both have elements of both, sure. <laughs> um, serial and anthology storytelling. Um, and, and anthology, I guess you, you might, we might also call it episodic, mm-hmm. you know, thing monster of the week or, or yeah. however you want to look at that, you know, more self-contained, um, story ideas, but, uh, yeah, I mean, so I don't, I don't really know where to begin with that other than just, you know, pointing, pointing that out and, and, like I said, I couldn't really remember where that discussion you know, started. It from. started
1: from one of the commenters on our website who uh, was chatting with us in the comments to one of the episodes. I don't remember which one. Um, and I think he or she made um, a comment about uh, Doctor Who going less deep into character than Buffy did um
0: that's right and that's i right. kind of oh this was this was the commenter who who thought it was interesting this is where interesting now
1: every time you say that's interesting right. we uh we have a uh, yes
0: wrap. i'm very self-conscious about using yeah, that word now.
1: <laughs> well especially i'll make you self-conscious because now i point it out every time you say that something's interesting but um <laughs> as you as you remarked interesting is good you know it's not it it's, is it's not a bad thing um but uh yeah, I kind of wanted to rise to the defense a little bit for Doctor Who, and I don't think that person meant it in a in a totally disparaging way because they are a fan of both shows and everything, you know. But um, sure. But part of it is, you know, I don't know that I necessarily agree that it doesn't go as deep into character, but I would. I guess I wanted to make a distinction between two different kinds of stories, especially in a TV show, which is, you know, has time to really, you know, know, a movie's a movie. It's two hours, whatever, like, you know, it's, you have your limit and then it's done. And I guess there can be series of movies or whatever, but I guess TV shows, you can either go the more episodic route of you know, you know, Law and Order or Twilight Zone or whatever, where they're very anthologized, very standalone, you know, or you can go the, I guess, more traditional soap opera route of interweaving relationships that stretch back and interlace over years and years and years. And I guess those are the two extremes of the way you can do it. Um. So I guess both of them both of these shows do both but i guess i would say that maybe doctor who leans more towards the anthology whereas buffy leans more towards the soap in that in that sense anyway um but uh you know i think there is a lot of crossover there and i guess with doctor who i wouldn't i would think for me the characterization is very deep but you don't you definitely don't have as much time you know because the nature of the show is you know if the biggest theme in the show is change by nature of that it is always changing so you know you may only get a couple seasons with a companion or even with a particular incarnation of the doctor so while you get i think rich characterization during that time it's not like you're living with the same character or character or actor over you know, five or 10 years, you know, you're getting a quicker succession, uh, you know, and by that nature, it means that the torch is kind of always being passed to, so even though it's an ongoing story, it has more of the sense of retelling a story over, like you have a new doctor and a new companion, and how can you do, how does Doctor Who become similar or different with you know, this new Doctor or this new companion, and then when they their story runs its course, then you do a repeat with a different Doctor and companion, and it changes because of the different personalities and everything involved. So that would be my difference, as opposed to Buffy that, um, to me, seems more like the story of this group of characters. It's more of an ensemble. You know, it's the story of Buffy and her you know, uh, Friends in their, you know, ongoing, you know, battle against evil. So it's more, about, yeah, yeah. it's more about how is that group interacting and changing and growing and shrinking as people come and go in and out of their lives? How do relationships change in season one versus season five versus season seven or whatever? Um, so it has more of a sense of you're following that one story and less about, you know a repeated story in different variations. So that was kind of my difference was like, it's not that it's less character driven. It's just a different type of story, I guess.
0: Well, and, and to that point um, about the characters leaving, I mean, we haven't gotten to there with Buffy, but we, you know, we will, we will get to the point where there are characters who are not, well, I mean, Jenny Callender, I guess, would be the, the closest thing that we've had at this point, where we've had a character who we sort of grew to know and, and love, and, and now she's not there yeah. anymore. Um, you know, but, you know, with uh, with with David Tennant, mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, when, when he leaves, I mean, we didn't have as much time with Christopher Eccleston, but with Rose, I mean, you know, she was around long enough. Yeah. For us to 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 get to know and like her and 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 get a deep sense of her character yeah. and see that character change and develop, yeah. um, and I would say even a bit with Martha. Although with Martha, I think you have to sort of take into account her Torchwood episode yeah. uh, episodes. I think there were like three that she was was actually mm-hmm. in. Um, you know, to take into account there, uh, you know, some of that depth too. So I, I guess I would say that I I. Agree to some extent, mm-hmm. but, but you're right. There's, there's definitely a different focus and, and this idea of, uh, you, you know, I, w- I was thinking about it cause there's actually um, a sort of a new concept of, of the anthology that has come around uh, just very recently. Um, one with American horror story, uh-huh. which is not a show that I've watched, but my understanding is that uh, each season is a completely different story. Yeah. Like there is, there is sort of the, the series long mythological yeah. arc. Um, and, and short note, Tim Minear is heavily associated with that program. So, yeah. so um, com- I'm surprised that I, I know. haven't Isn't seen he it yet. Like favorite writer? <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah. He's, he, he he's written some of my favorite episodes of, of Whedon productions yeah. anyways, yeah. but, um, the, uh, you know, so so there is that idea of anthology too. I just want to be clear that we're not talking about that so yeah. much. Yeah, and,
1: and they're doing that. But on that the other, the on True
0: the other hand, too. Right, with True Detective, you're right. I I meant to mention that, and then um, I was I wanted to make sure I got out that on the other hand, though, that actually does seem to be because it's not like Doctor Who doesn't have any arc either. Sure. You know what I mean? Like like with the bad wolf yep. stuff or the um uh the the oh gosh what was the name of um the math that the master used uh Harry uh saxon yeah. right and and you know that kind of thing where there is a thread yeah but it's not it's not nearly as connected um as with buffy and actually and this probably goes very well into our discussion later about fanfic mm-hmm. and and canon and and all of that which we're not going to get to quite yet but um but i think that that might play into, you know, that whole idea that, um, you know, so my point being that, that one, we do have this sort of new idea of anthology with some of these other shows that are, that are sort of not even trying to go season to season. Right. Right. The link is more, the link
1: would be more thematic or, or tonal than even any plot correspondence between. Just like you would have
0: in a anthology of, poetry, you know, where you might have, you know, a specific type of poetry or an anthology of short stories or something like that. Um, Yeah. And clearly
1: Dr. Who has more coherence than that. I mean, we are watching the continuing story of a particular character Um, and I think especially, and this is kind of where I would say, well, and
0: even the companions, I mean, you know, even with Donna where she was there and, and now she, comes back and you know we see that her for a season or however long i guess we're not at the end of the season so i shouldn't assume that we're going to continue seeing her for the whole Mm -hmm. season but um we've gotten a couple scares already (laughs) uh but the uh the idea yeah just the idea that there is some there but it's more of a scale right you can't really consider it like a binary thing like oh it's either an anthology or it's you know heavily uh you know weighted in in um, uh, mythology or whatever. Um, this, well, sorry. Go ahead. I, I know you were going to say some, so I'll, I'll let you go before I jump to the next thing I was going to say there.
1: Oh
0: well, no. Go ahead. I was going to look something up. Oh, okay. Up. Well, I'll so you, you you totally <laughs> blew my cover. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> waffle.
1: Um, I was going to say, I guess. Uh, I I
0: thought you had well, something. Well, I did, I did, but that, I
1: didn't so. want to take away from whatever you were going to say, but um. I guess I was going to say that I think, and I'm still exploring classic Who myself, so you know, forgive me if there are people out there who know it better than I and who disagree with any statements I'm about to make, but I think Davies and Moffat <laughs> have gone even, because I think as TV has evolved, um, serialization has become more the way we like it. You know, because with the advent of fan and geek culture and concepts like canon and things like the DVR and downloads and all these things. It makes it easier Mm. for us to watch, catch up with things, you know, um, afterwards. So it becomes more attractive to have a story that has a sense of cohesion and continuity. You know, whereas, you know, serialized things used to be in vogue because they were easy to repeat. So you can catch an episode of law and order or even you know episodes of Seinfeld it doesn't matter what order you watch them in you know they work just fine no matter where you enter in and it's yeah. that's become less the mode of doing things now you know now we de- we tend to prefer ongoing mythological stories I think um so I would say that from what I've experienced of classic who that was even more um Anthologized in that way, and I think that Davies and Moffat have done a lot to add those more serialized elements. Um, There Mm -hmm. was a quote floating around this week where Russell Davies responded to accusations of introducing too much soapiness to Doctor Who, and I think this was more to do with the romantic elements, which he dismissed okay. with the very uh, reasonable point that if you add all of the kisses and lines about romance together, you probably have about five minutes. <laughs> so, you know, what yeah. people are well, actually... I mean, the hints are there. Although, then again, they're... they're the hints they're are, are certainly there. There are more hints. It's more, it's more implied than anything else. But I think his point stands. That You know, is did he just turn it into, you know, this big you know, thing where the love affair between the Doctor and Rose is the main point of the show, I don't think so. I think you'd have to go pretty far to go towards proving that. Um, but, um, I think there's another area where he did add, I I mean, I would say his introduction of the soapy elements are part of the reasons why his New Who was so good. Because um, he does, I think, want you to have an ongoing relationship to the characters in the stories. And he does that by giving them fuller, richer lives, which include things like, you know, uh, you know, love between characters or feelings of jealousy or backstories or family relationships. That These are all soapy elements, which, you know, actually, I think, enrich the characters more than anything else. Um, yeah. And... So I think he kind of did a lot to make you, you know, really have a emotional connection to the story, you know, as it's going through. Um, and then I think Moffat, you know, if, if Davies did that with character, I think Moffat, which we've gotten hints at with his episodes, but I think we'll see more of as we go forward, he adds um, more plot-driven aspects to that, that, you know, he's kind of, we've, We just had our discussion of the Silence in the Library episodes, you know, with the first hints of River. So, you know, not only are you getting a sense of ongoing relationships between characters, but the way in which River meets the Doctor uh, out of order, I guess. The way she, when she first meets him, it's his last meeting of her. So you're Mm. introducing, that's the introduction of a plot arc, you know, right there of, you know his relationship to to her isn't just a relationship to a character. It's a relationship to, you know, how does their relationship work in terms of timelines, you know? So he kind of is starting to play with more intricate plot arcs, I think. Um, And that's one of the things that he's going to start, even though I think Davies, I don't want to say Davies didn't do any of that because I think, you kind of mentioned how we've had companions, they don't just come and then leave and we never see them again. We've had Donna for one episode and then she came back. We've had Martha come back, you know, after she's been a, you know, no longer right. a traveling companion. And we've had little glimpses of Rose. We've we've had yes. Jack come and go too. So yeah. I don't want to make it sound like Davies isn't also interested in, you know...
0: Well, and also with the implication that there's things going on in their lives outside yes. of the time that they spend yeah, with the doctor. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, exactly like
0: Um and not to mention Sarah. And Jane. Not
1: exactly. So you know, so I would think I think that would be my other point would be that's the ways in which New Who I think has um further serialized. But I think you still have that sense of um the the ninth Doctor story, maybe being slightly distinct from the tenth Doctor story, which might be slightly distinct from the eleventh Doctor story, and that each of the companions have their own story. So you kind of have still, and mm-hmm. each of the episodes, like you said, are very episodic. So you still have that general sense of, um, you, it benefits from viewing in order, but, but it's not the only way to watch it. You know, that there are, there's still a. Sure. There's still an anth- anthologized feel to the whole thing, I think.
0: Right, right. Oh, um, well, and and even thinking, you know, uh, about storylines that include, like, the face of Bo, which, of course, yeah. is, is Jack, I guess. So now yes. we throw him in with Jack? I don't know, because we already mentioned him. But I'm thinking specifically of, like, you had, you know, um, the end of the world, and then you had New New York whatever that episode was Mm -hmm. called and then you had gridlock right where you have these stories from different seasons too you know taking up uh and and from different doctors and different companions yeah uh you know that 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 are binding them together too so you do get this interleaved yeah um what I was so excited and anxious to say before um, but I had to look
1: uh-huh. look up
0: um, is actually I, ha- I had a conversation um, a little while back via email with um, Dr. Amy Sturgis uh, who ba- – well, it was based on two articles that I had found um, based on actually economics of all things. Okay. Um, I'm something of an economics geek in addition to all this other stuff, <laughs> so I, I do follow some economics blogs. But there's a um, – there's an English uh economist, British economist, uh named Tim Harford. He's written um The Undercover Economist, oh, I think yeah. is probably okay. his most famous book. And uh really good, really interesting. He he he's he puts a lot of good, you know, uh ideas in, in very easy to understand terms. Um but anyway, he had linked to a couple of articles um in the Financial Times as well as in uh as well as to a talk uh by university of toronto economics professor joshua gans about how technology and dvrs and that sort Mm -hmm. of thing um and and like subscription-based channels and all of that have really led to this uh explosion i guess of these more mythological heavy um they they use examples of lost dexter even the x files which um granted we didn't really have dvrs but we did have time shifting technology of the vcr, the VCR and yeah. and you know that sort of thing and how and how you know economically speaking these things um you, you know these these devices and and technology and now with the internet and twitter and all of yeah. this uh where where you can be watching and and conversing with people at the same time but you don't necessarily have to be either, right? Like you can, you can save it and watch it later and yeah. that kind of thing. So, so there's there's a lot more options, but also a lot more ways to sort of revisit the stories and and pick up on subtleties yeah. that people didn't look for, say in classic Who or in or in other classic stories of any yeah. kind um, that that were more episodic. Um, yeah,
1: I was just reading. Which, um, I was just I read this blog by this writer. Philip Sandifer, um, who blogs on Doctor Who, and and he was talking, and this isn't to say that there was no subtlety to Classic Who, but he said the rule of thumb with some of the classic showrunners was, you can reasonably assume that viewers will have forgotten anything that took place more than a year ago. Like, that was just the rule yeah. of thumb in the writer's room, you know? Um, and that's just not and the case anymore. It, it's definitely not the case. Or
0: possibly never saw it. Yeah, and exactly. Since or they, didn't they only never
1: heard about it. Yeah, if that.
0: Yeah, they didn't have the syndication, yeah. and they didn't have the you know, um, again those sort of yep. technologies that allowed them to to go back and revisit those stories. Yep. So that makes sense. It also explains why you know the BBC just sort of taped over crap. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, if yeah. nobody's going to remember it anyway, and it's probably not going to get aired again. Yeah. Yeah, let's reuse this and save, save a, few a few bucks. bucks. Yeah. Um, and uh and of course we can all chastise them <laughs> till doomsday uh, yeah. for that. But you know, it in the time and place I'm sure that made a certain amount of sense. Yeah. That's not to say that there weren't shows that didn't have larger mythology arcs. Um the you know, a show like The Prison, yeah, yeah, which yeah. uh was a British show. Yeah, and, and, and know, it's back not in the
1: sixties. Yeah, so. late sixties. Um, um and that's not to say that Classic who didn't have any overarching mythology it certainly did Mm -hmm.
0: um right right but i think i think there is some merit to that idea that that it's technology driven and and so all of that to say that i think in a show like doctor who first of all if you're going to revive it after what was it 20 25 years or or so um you know to to revive it i mean you're talking an eon in technology oh, yeah. terms. So and and I don't mean just in production value but in in consumer yeah. technology that you know the stuff that people are watching, you know, it yeah. on. <laughs> so uh yeah it would feel not quite right if you didn't have some of that at oh, least. Yeah. So I I think I think it you know if there is criticism that um you know, like you mentioned, that, that they're taking it too far in one direction. I mean, I suppose people are always going to sort of have their preferences for the amount of any type of feature or sure. style. So, I mean, on the one hand, that's just, okay, fine. Right. Your mileage will but, vary kind of thing. But I think overall it would feel not not uh, right to completely ignore that no. either. So, no, and I think um, part
1: of the reason it's as popular as it is is because – they introduced the new uh, modern way of the, the modern way we'd like to have our stories done, you know, that the storytelling and, has changed and they've, and they've rolled with that.
0: They've not only introduced it, but there's been sort of some meta commentary on it. And we've gotten to, you know, discussions from people, characters in particular, uh, particular uh like jackie you know what about the ones that get left behind or or elton yeah you know what what happens to those of us who barely get touched by yeah yeah so there's even commentary
1: Um, on you know the form of the story um Mm -hmm. and i mean with buffy too you were saying
0: we i I was gonna say we we've been talking a lot about doctor who we should probably yeah well not i guess beat up on it too much
1: um, what struck me too was you were saying the x files you know, which was around the same time you know Buffy was on in the late nineties too, so Buffy also mm. kind of coincided with this you know the the very first beginning i mean coincided with the with the v c r so it was starting to be where you could you know record and, things um in the
0: early days of d v
1: r and is and well. and also the early days of you know people having internet in their homes, you know so getting
0: yeah like high speed broadband yeah Yeah, having
1: access to other people via the internet to which they could come together and discuss things you know theorize about mythology and characters and all that kind of stuff
0: now before Buffy there was internet it's just that you know it you couldn't be on the phone at the same time as you were using it and you couldn't you couldn't um you know there was no way you could actually stream no. <laughs> any kind of video. Oh, no. I mean, it took like 10 minutes to download a small image no. file. No, or, it was, the, it, was um, kind of it was early days. It was early days, but
1: you know,
0: but yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, as, as, especially in, in the later seasons of Buffy, um, you know, that was becoming more and more of a possibility. Uh, and, and there were, uh, you know, there were some, You know, I I don't know if there were conscious decisions on like Joss Whedon or or the show, various showrunners parts related to that. It seems difficult to believe that there wouldn't have been any, (laughs) you know, I mean, especially given how much they, you know, just to run a show, you have to be involved in the culture and know about the technologies, uh, not only that exist, but which soon will be in existence, you know, um, so. And I
1: think we've seen the same trend, you know, even though Buffy is, you know, more modern than classic who was, we've seen that same trend of becoming more modern in its style, you know, that it does start out more, you know, you have characters as a oh, yeah. sort of framework, but it is more monster of the week. Whereas I think they've gotten bolder with having those longer character uh, journeys and arcs where it does matter but that you've seen what came before you know and you do mm-hmm. need to watch things um all the way through and in order in order to really follow and understand the story in order to have an emotional connection to it and everything yeah. so even yeah though no it's i think more, that's right. even though it's more serialized to begin with i think it's become even more so in the three seasons that we've watched so far um
0: yeah. Huge difference from season one to season yeah, three. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Absolutely. Um, and, and like you said, not that there's no larger arc in season one, but well, one, it's half the length, mm-hmm. uh, of the other seasons, but it's also, uh, very minimalistic that, you know, it's kind of like at the end, they're like, oh yeah, remember this master guy we talked yeah. about? He's here and he's going to raise the hell mouth. Um,
1: Right, which is more, which has been more <laughs> of the Doctor Who approach to story arcs. You know, introduce yeah. a concept yeah. early on and then pay it off at the end. Whereas now in Buffy Season 3, with with Faith's story and with the Master's story, I keep saying the Master, darn it, it's the Mayor. Uh, you're getting, but those two, I think you're getting more of a sense all the way through of um, mm-hmm. of, of well, and up, with Angel. You know. And angels, angels return, yeah, and
0: and and recovery, and yeah. Now, now his involvement, yeah. you know, uh, in the group. I, I have to be careful because I can't remember. We're recording this a, l- a little bit before it's going to air, so I have to be careful as to what we've actually seen so yes. far <laughs> to this point. But um, I think, yeah, no, I think I think that's right. So, sort of the overall thing that i think we're both saying is (laughs) is that yes we want to acknowledge and recognize the the serial versus the more anthology or or episodic uh approach to the storytelling but but they one there's elements of each in in both uh series but also it's not a better or worse situation it's just what is the story about and 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 can you get the same character or at least can you get some kind of deep character involvement? Mm-hmm. You know, it's of course not going to be the same cause they're different stories, yeah. but, um, and I think you can, I think, I think you can get that. I think okay. we've seen that. I think, um, it's easier to see that with Buffy because you, like you pointed out, you get that longer view. Mm. Um, but who knows? Yeah. Maybe we'll see that uh, in Doctor Who as well, or maybe we'll we'll, you know, maybe it's just being better at identifying it. Yeah, now I mean, that I it's think not it's, there, it's
1: more, you know, does does the length of a novel have anything to do with how uh, rich its characterization can be? Not necessarily. I mean, sometimes no, no, it yeah. sometimes it it can affect that, but sometimes I think you can do as much, you know with a kind of more snappy and and shorthand sort of story as you can with you know an epic novel I think it has to do with the quality of the writing and the acting and everything um so you know I wouldn't while I wouldn't disagree that the stories are different and you get different amounts of time with its characters I don't know that I like you said I don't know that I see that as better or worse in terms of its characterization um it's just that you can't help but have differences when you're telling stories in slightly different ways, I guess. So.
0: Yeah, sure. Sure. So in talking about story mm. and noticing things, <laughs> we, we do have to sort of acknowledge. Um, so we were going to talk about the fact that um, these are visual media, yeah. um, even though we may not necessarily talk about that,
1: as much as we would like or should, yeah. so I mean, a well, full disclaimer. I mean, we're both primarily, you know, students of literature. I guess so. It takes a more, it takes a little bit more conscious effort on both of our parts, I think, to sure. read um, visual media in their full visualness. You know, I think we tend to <laughs> focus on the English majory things of theme and you know character development and you know and and right. and, and language and, you, and plot, and, and, plot and, yeah. and all these things um so you know maybe let's talk about some of the visual or talk about why is it important to also talk about the visual or maybe talk about why it's also important to be story focused as well so
0: yeah why ignoring not that you ignore the visual, but why maybe it's okay to sometimes not be too concerned with how things appear. Mm. Okay. But anyway, all well, right, well, so well, you have, you have, a, have quote a quote I have a quote, so
1: let's just play devil's advocate. So we'll start with the visual. So, you know, okay. you uh, sent me this uh, email, I think, I think the the... The, the article you sent me was from my second quote, which was an article by Emily Nussbaum, um, which was about the, the importance of story. But she links to an article by a guy named Matt Zoller Seitz, um, who kind of issued a, uh, a call to TV critics to not forget that you know, they are TV critics, not book reviewers, um, and to not forget that you are working with a visual medium so his you know the the part of the quote that i pulled out is this um and this is quite long maybe i'll abridge it but um movies and television are visual art forms and oral art forms they're not just about plot characterization and theme analytical writing about movies and tv should incorporate some discussion of the means by which the plot is advanced the characters developed the themes explored it should devote some space some small bit of the word count to the compositions, the cutting, the music, the decor, the lighting, the overall rhythm and mood of the piece. Otherwise, it's all just book reports or political op-eds that happen to be about film and TV. It's literary criticism about visual media. Um, he keeps going on. I think we get the gist of it. The point yeah, in,
0: being... In, in in the same vein.
1: He keeps going in that vein. So, uh,
0: Ironically, he's writing this, not posting a video about it. But... Um, <laughs> So,
1: so you know okay. the the point being, don't forget that it is a story, yes, but it's a story whose medium is not just words, but um, but visual media. So, you know, music, lighting, acting, editing, direction, you know, set design, all these other things. So, you know, we shouldn't forget uh, the means of the craft as well as the the overall, I guess, meaning of the craft, you know? So if you're going to argue what we think about any given episode, um, we shouldn't forget that we also have at our disposal, not just what we think it means, but why do we think that? And why we think that could be linked to what is actually on screen as well as, you know, where we think the story's headed, I guess.
0: Sure. And there's no doubt that, you know, the composition and and the set, and all of that has a big impact on that. Um, yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I, I will be first to admit that that's not what jumps to mind when I'm thinking about a story, but, um, I'm thinking in particular about like an episode like the girl in the fireplace Mm. where you have such a stark contrast between, uh, you you know, uh, Renaissance France or whatever it is, or, or enlightenment France or, um, you know, versus the, the spaceship, the dreary, you know, uh, broken Mm. down out in the middle of nowhere spaceship. Um, and, and part of, part of the effect of that is that contrast. There's no doubt. And it's not something that is ever stated. It's not ever said. Um, maybe the closest they get to it is when, um, Renette comes into the spaceship and is like, this is the future, you know, this is what's happening and, um, you know, that kind of thing. But even then it's more, it's more sly. It's more, more sort of a scans, uh, sort of reference. So, you know, that would be, that would be sort of the first one that pops to mind. I'm sure there's plenty of other examples where, where absolutely, you know, the visual aspect of, uh, you know, the episode itself is, is extremely important. Um, and, and Arl, he does mention Aurel too, because, um, it is, it is, you know, also something you hear, yes not just something that, that you see. Um, so you, we've, we have talked about like the, um, love theme between mm-hmm. Buffy and Angel and the rep repeated motion, the, the, um. You, you know when she stabs him there at the end of season yeah. 2 and and just before that says close your eyes right, and right. you know the repeated uh stuff there um we've talked about sort of um uh, in in Buffy again as well the cadence in um lover's walk with, between the repeated lines of the um the the uh, sorry yeah lover's walk uh Right? Isn't that where they the, the, the ghosts inhabit them and, and Oh
1: I only have eyes for you. That
0: one I only have eyes for you. I don't know why I thought that was Lover's Walk. <laughs> yeah. There. Sorry. Um Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where where you know you get the repeated uh drama- dramatization, I guess, yeah. of not just the lines but the actions and, and seeing um, you know, the different the different ways that they uh sort of fulfill their roles in, in that yeah little sort of mini drama. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and I, what keeps jumping to my mind too especially with Buffy is how much um the things like the costumes can tell you about the characters. You know, like how much does mm. the way Spike dresses tell you what kind of a person he is or, you know, the way Willow dresses and then by contrast when she's definitely not dressed like Willow, like when she's dressed up for <laughs> Halloween <laughs> right. or you know, or mm-hmm. or in doppelganger land, you know, and, and so there's definitely, I think, especially, I mean, maybe less so in, um, in Doctor Who where the clothes are either, you know, just kind of contemporary, you know, generally contemporary or, you know, futuristic or period or whatever. It tells you more about where you are, you know, whereas I think in Buffy it's more of an indicator of, you know, since everything is contemporary, Sunnydale, there's more variety within that of like how various characters dress. You know how, you know how Cordelia mm-hmm. looks as opposed to you know,
0: yeah, Xander, Xander with his yeah. loose his you know shirt. Hawaiian yeah. shirts and stuff. So
1: yeah. I yeah. think like definitely the characterization benefits a lot from it being a visual medium. You know, and and you're able to kind of give a shorthand of what a character is about without even any dialogue. Like you, like you said, like, like in girl in the fireplace, they don't remark on that. You just sort of take it in visually. It's not like anyone in mm -hmm. Buffy talks about clothes for the most part, but what they wear tells you about them.
0: But then you do get moments like in homecoming with uh, Xander and Willow when they're dressing up. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and you get, well, and you get the remarks, but you also get that. Like you said, it's like you may not have noticed up until yeah. then, but you realize this is them in a different thing. Yeah. And of course, it works out poorly for yeah. them uh, in the long run. But um, well, are things I was, like I was a, also I was thinking, thinking of, of
1: Buffy's wearing of Angel's jacket like they don't ever really sure. talk about that. But if you notice it, visually, no, and, that becomes and you almost you. forget it. Yeah.
0: You almost forget that that black leather jacket that she wore was given to her yeah. in episode one or two of the yeah. first season. Um, that the the contrast I was going to make with Doctor Who is the repeated, um, <laughs> the repeatedly calling uh, Rose naked. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, when they go back to Victorian England, um, <laughs> which is, yeah. or I guess technically Scotland, uh, you know when uh, I forget the name of the episode, but you yeah. you know when they meet the yeah. werewolf yes. and that kind of thing. So it's it's this explicit drawing out of the fact that they actually don't always change their clothes when they go to other places. So this is like, and and I think we even got the doctor saying to Martha, right. When they went back to Shakespeare, she was like, Oh, should, is this okay? And it's like, well, we've already seen Rose in the situation of going back and they're going back much further. So it's kind of a weird, uh, yeah. just, just act like you in the
1: place.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, just act like you
1: on this place. Yeah.
0: Um, um, and 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 notably, Rose never actually gets dressed, so to speak. Like she stays in the same outfit the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. In in the episode, uh, you know, where where they're trying to get Queen Victoria to say that she's not right. pleased, not amused.
1: Um. Yeah. So I think I mean I, I like personally I'm like you I'm aware of the fact that that is not my. Strength as a critic, you know that that's something I have to kind of remind myself to pay attention to because it is much easier mm-hmm. to just focus on the characters and the themes and everything, um, and and even the language of the dialogue and everything.
0: Um, I'm I'm going to um, maybe I'm maybe I'm going to show that I'm being too defensive okay. here now because I, I do want to make one comment before we get into the other half. Well, I guess this is this getting is the into other the other half, half this, is this, the other... Th- this is, this is actually a different comment than I think Emily Nussbaum yeah. takes uh, or makes. Um, and the assumption here seems to be that with literature, you don't focus on the visual or the aural. Mm. And I actually think that that's wrong. Yeah. I think the best stories you do have a visual mm-hmm. picture of what's going on in your head. Yes. It's not on a TV screen. Yeah. Uh, it, no, it's not something that somebody else has created for you. And I think that in fact, some of the best stories really do have a visual component to them, even though technically you're just reading words. Yeah. Um, and, and there are absolutely. And, and I think that that's, one of the reasons um, – I don't remember if this is a point that Tolkien made or someone else has made it, but I, I would dare say that that's one of the reasons why when you get to um, movies and comparisons with a movie and a mm. book, you get so many people who say the book is so mm-hmm. much better. and And it's not because necessarily that the movie is poor – But it's because in your head, when you're reading it, you're seeing it the way you expect to see it and the way you want to see it. And so Yeah,
1: I always thought that when you read a book, it's like you're the director of the movie in your head. You know, you get to choose the costumes and and And, the set decoration and you know, all that. The best
0: experience the best experiences that I've had with, with books is is when that direction is taking place seamlessly as I read it. I'm not having to think about Oh, oh, he had he had blonde hair so I should think about a kid with blonde right. hair. No, it's just you're in in the moment you're doing it and I think that that's why when I'm watching visual media especially especially when it's something that's not a story that I've read and so I'm not sort of distracted by the differences. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's something like Doctor Who where it's, you know, that visual stuff is sort of done and in there and and it's not something you have to think about. That may be why I, I don't think about it is because it is done and already there for me. And I'm not I'm not sort of having to interpret it, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that's not to say that you shouldn't be more conscious of it. But I, I would just say that there seems to be assumption there that that literature, yeah. that stories, words on the page are not visual. And I think that that's wrong. It's just that the visualization takes place in a different way mm-hmm. and in a different um Uh, you you, you know, it's internalized rather than external. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the, the effect, it's almost like the medium is different, but the effect is the same. That instead of the medium being physical things, the medium is words, but you're still ending up with a picture, you know, it's just maybe Mm -hmm. in your head rather, rather than, you know, on a TV screen um and a right. and a good piece of writing should give you a, a sensual experience as well as just ideas or just you know mm-hmm. like i think what you're arguing is that even li- literature and stories on their own aren't without sensory detail you know it's they're it's right. not like right. all they are just a story isn't right. just made of plot and character it's also made or you know the good ones you know are also made of, you know, description and visual and oral aspects yeah. and everything.
0: Well, and, I, you know, I think of something like um, Ursula K. Le Guin and, and the left hand of darkness. There's, you know, uh, the the title comes from a poem within the, the book. The left hand of darkness is the right hand of light. And it's it's there's there's these repeated, you know, contrasts and, and it goes along with her themes of, um, you know, dualism and and gender being part of that dualism and, and that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, but there's, there's so much in there and, and it's easy to gloss over those references too, of just, you know, white and black, warm and cold, Mm -hmm. dark and light, you know, and that kind of thing too. But, but when you are aware of that in literature as well, it becomes a full, fuller, more rich er, experience. (laughs) Um, that was a poorly worded sentence, but, uh, there, there's, um, Oh, there's a, there's a term chiaroscuro or something like that. I'm, I'm butchering the word, um, which is actually like an art term. Uh, but the, uh, there, there's some interesting, um, there's some interesting scholarship with that in that particular book. And I I feel like I'm getting further away from our actual (laughs) discussion. So to pull it back in, I guess I would just say that I, I think, I think he's absolutely right. I think Matt, Zoller cites is 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 right that we should be paying attention to that. Um, just that I think it's wrong to say that that's different from how we should be paying attention to any story. Sure. Um, right,
1: right. Any sort of reading, whether it be of a book or TV or movie, should take into account everything that goes into it, no matter what that is. Mm-hmm. You know, really, his point shouldn't just be don't forget about the visual in movies. It should be. Don't leave anything out. Everything is at your disposal as a critic, you know, in order to interpret yeah. a story. Um, and that is true no matter what medium you're working in. So don't give preference to one, you know, set of tools to another. You know, Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you're reading something and you're only focused on yeah. plot and totally missing characterization and, and visual yeah. clues and that sort of thing um and metaphor and, and all of the other stuff that goes along with it. Yeah. Then I think then then you're not
1: and I actually think I actually I, I almost said that then uh, I think
0: that's the wrong way to read it, but I, I, I should step back from that because I'll acknowledge that I was gonna say that. I'll step back and I'll say that I think you're not getting the fullest exactly. experience that you could get exactly. from it. Yeah,
1: it's not that it's a bad reading or a wrong reading, just that you're not taking into account all of your available yeah. data. And I think that people and, actually I think the tool has a lot or the medium has a lot to do with it because I think a lot of people and myself included, you know, forget even when you're reading a book to take things like language into account. Like you skip over the language to get to the plot or the theme or the character when the language mm. is the building block of a of a bit of writing, you know, and I think people mm-hmm. do the same thing with TV. You forget about the camera work because it's the building block of the work of art, you know, and, and I think the larger point is no matter what you're reviewing or criticizing or interpreting, try to take as much into account as possible and see how it all fits together and yeah. contributes to the story and everything.
0: So, so I guess on that respect, I guess we're ultimately saying we, we sort of agree with, with Mr. Sites here and, and, and saying that, we should be perhaps doing a little bit better job of, of acknowledging that more explicitly and, and taking that into account. And, uh, as long as we don't sacrifice the other aspects yeah. of the story itself, which is, I think, Nussbaum's yes. point. Um, and I, I'll go ahead and read some of this since you've read that long, <laughs> really long passage from before. Um, she says that television uh, plays with a distinct set of genres, sitcom, procedural, soap operas, each with its own history and set of aesthetic values. But mostly TV is long and movies are short. And so she's sort of picking on a particular um, comment, I think, from from sites where he was he was talking about looking at it more as a movie critic yeah. uh, would Um TV takes place over not just hours but seasons and years. A movie can sustain a mood for two hours on exceptional craft, and that's not the primary approach of most current TV, and really doesn't need to be. There's a reason that television has been so fruitful for writers creatively, and it's that episodic, seasonally created series showcase. Sorry, it's it's that. Episodic seasonally created series showcase writers' strengths. Wow, that's a lot of like nouns <laughs> in a string there. Um rich characters, long plot arcs, smart dialogue, thematic complexity, television nurtures storytelling. Um, And so, so that seems to be actually very well tied into our previous discussion about serial versus anthology that, that I think we both sort of agreed with that this is, this is the way that television stories are told these days is, is it is strength and, 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 built on this longer story idea that it's that it's about a bigger journey than than 30 minutes or 42 minutes or whatever can get you Um,
1: yeah and I think I'm about to make a sweeping generalization which is completely you know able to be knocked over by a million counterexamples but to overgeneralize you know I think you know, write, or TV writing, especially recently, you know, with all this new wave of technology and everything, has become a writer's medium in a way that mm. I've heard it said movies are a director's medium and stage yeah. theater is an actor's medium, you know, and so, and that's not to say that there's not creative, you know, I guess creative fruit to be found in all three of them for all three careers, you know, but all you have to do is look at something like these two shows where who is the king of these shows? It's not the director. It's the writer, you know, it's yeah. the Whedon verse. He's the writer and he is a director. Yes. But primarily the, the guy in charge of the direction is doing that from a writing point of view, not a, Direction point of view and same thing right well
0: and it's it's the story editors yeah. who who have the control and 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 you know it's in the writers room where where yeah. these things
1: yeah hatch. and and same um, thing and with then Doctor it's... Who you know the the kings are Davies and Moffat and they're leading the writing you know that that is king in this universe I guess um, mm-hmm. and direction no I, I think is that's slightly whereas in in a movie. It's the exact opposite. You know, the director is king. The writer works for the director. So,
0: yeah, no, I, I've heard that same thing as well. And I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And and you get when you get on the commentaries uh, of shows like this, you you get the stories of the writers, you know, saying, oh, I always wanted to write a story with this particular character. So I chose this story to put them in there because, yeah. you know, he or she has been sitting in the back of my brain for 10 years or whatever yeah. you know however long that might be. So yeah, I absolutely think that, that that that's right. Um again, not to say that the direction, the the cinematography, the the set design, all of that doesn't take that into account, but yeah. there is an essence where that's all in a sense being, you know, uh driven by the story. Um Yeah. Maybe not all, but but in large part, I I'll say yeah. That.
1: And it's it's those um, things are I think in service of the story. You know, like the mm-hmm. writer is is telling and, the story, and I think they and, can yeah.
0: I think they can enhance sure. the story definitely. I mean, you know, that's not to say, but the story has to be there. The story has to exist in a way. You know, it's like a it's like a good song. You know, you can hear a, a a really catchy, you know, upbeat whatever song on the radio and it's got lots of electric guitar and great, you know, percussion and this and that and the other thing. But the true mark of a good song is then when you hear it stripped down, played acoustic, mm. you know, just a microphone and a singer and a, an acoustic guitar. Yeah. And it still has the same, maybe not the same exact feel, but it still gets people moved. Yeah. You know, it still moves you to think so that would be, you know, if the story would be that acoustic performance, right? If you don't have the good story behind it, the best visuals aren't going to help yeah. out.
1: Well, and visual is, you know, good visuals are absolutely important and essential and an asset and even maybe necessary, but they're not an end in themselves. You know, the point of a story is the story. And so it seems to me that, you know, willow's costume only is interesting in that it tells us something about willow you know otherwise it becomes a fashion show you know or it becomes you know a beautiful Mm. you know you know madame de pompadour's costume is interesting but what's really interesting is what the contrast between that costume and the spaceship tell you about the story that's being told you know that those things Mm -hmm. are in service of something and you know. Right, and the meeting
0: of two different worlds and, and different ideas yeah. and that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah.
1: So absolutely. I think, you know, all of the visual stuff is there in order for the writers to tell these really interesting stories. Um, and and I think television is definitely maybe, you know, uh, one of the best mediums for that because, like Nussbaum points out, because of this serialization, because you have the time, you know – and again, I did just say earlier that time doesn't necessarily make for rich characterization, but it certainly doesn't hurt. You know, that you have having years to tell something means that you have luxury, you know, to you know, not just tell you know, you know, Buffy season 1 is an interesting story on its own, you know, but what's really interesting is then seeing those characters change and grow and go to new places and interact you know and that's something mm-hmm. that you can only do with a kind of ongoing serialized format i think um yeah. you know or or doctor who in its simplest form you know of doctor and companion is interesting but what becomes really interesting is seeing how that is you know how how is the ninth doctor and rose different than the tenth doctor and donna you know, or even seeing the Tenth Doctor with three different companions and how is that different each time. Yeah, that The yeah. ongoing nature of it is what gives you all of these interesting little contrasts, which is, you know, seems to be why writers are drawn to it, I think.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and, and it even sets up for introduction of characters like River Song, yeah. who... We know that there's a characterization in a the story there, but we don't we haven't seen it play out yet and yeah. so that is interesting. We know that we're gonna see more from mm-hmm. from her and 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 get you know a better idea of what her character is like, but you know um, yeah, like you said there's there there does need to be some time to to sort of draw that out. But, but even in just the short time that we've seen her so far, you already get a sense of that. Mm. So, so I think that goes to your point of before that you don't necessarily have to have a large amount of time, you know, to set up that interest and, and to get an intriguing character. Um, Yeah. Interesting. Well, I think we've actually sort of moved into our next topic here, mm-hmm. which was going to be on sort of the value of story. Um, and you've got another you've got another I've quote, got another here. quote um, from
1: Philip Sandifer again, um, who's a Doctor Who blogger. And I kicked myself that I didn't read the entry from which this came before our Forest of the Dead discussion, because we were talking about in what sense is River saved or still living at the end, you know, and I think um mm. This quote, I think, would have been useful for me. Um, He's talking about an episode from the 70s, but uh, he says, and this is Doctor Who's great radicalism. It's stunning rejoinder to the hard SF or hard sci-fi crowd, that the realm of stories and ideas is every bit as material as the realm of physical things, and that engagement with memory and imagination is as real, perhaps even more so, than engagement with technology and contemporary culture. So, you know, I think that would be, you know, one aspect. And again, I don't think that takes away from the ambiguity of the ending of River's story or erase all the sense in which everybody doesn't live. It doesn't deny that death is a real thing, you know, that happens. Um, Mm. But, you know, his kind of point is that there's something in the DNA of Doctor Who as a story which... The article in which he's writing is kind of contrasting hard sci-fi with a a less hard sci-fi, I guess. And his kind of point being that Doctor Who is allied more with, I guess, more with fantasy in that way. And that it takes takes imagination and thought and memory and stories as real and as immediately relevant and important as the material world. Um, and it's, it it has kind of a spiritual alignment that way. And that that's sort of in his reading part of what makes Dr. Who, Dr. Who, which I think works perfectly with silence in the library. Um, and I've already said how that's a big theme of the Moffat tenure is stories and kind of, Mm -hmm, you know, the mm -hmm. Dr. Who story in a meta way. Um, and I thought, you know, that's a really compelling argument. And, you know, I don't know if we've, Got a sense of that from Buffy yet? I'd I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on whether you think Buffy, um, belongs to that school of thought or not. Um, or maybe yeah. we're maybe we yeah. don't have enough data yet. Maybe we'll have to keep our eye out for it.
0: <laughs> right, like like the doctor always says, more data. I need yeah. more. What's changed? Yeah, what, what's, what's different? different? What's new? Um, I need more data. Um, no, I I think that's a good question. So so first of all, just. The contrast of hard sci-fi would definitely be—I um, don't know—that soft sci-fi right. is, is actually it, yeah. a term, but 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 hard sci-fi is defined by that propensity to like go into extensive detail, you know, scientific, even if the science is not yeah. real. There's like an extensive explanation. There's a sense so in which it you could think,
1: plausibly. It makes a kind you, of you, coherent technological sense even if it, it, it's literally
0: it's, yeah it's sort of originally associated with things like um well with writers like asimov yeah. heinlein clark where where they're yeah you know asimov was a scientist so he he would you know he would explain to you in detail sort of the mathematics and psychology of psychohistory, yeah. as is portrayed in the foundation series um you know, more recently, obviously, there are others, too. Uh, Kim Stanley Robinson, you mm-hmm. know, would be another sort of hard sci-fi guy. So I don't – I mean, maybe Sandford's referring to someone more specific. I, I think but it I was think, in
1: conversation with Asimov, but I think generally that school of okay. 1950s which, and 60s and the tradition which comes out of that.
0: Right, and that's that's the golden yeah. era, they call it, yeah. of sci-fi, of, of written sci-fi anyway. Which but, is – I, I
1: think Sandifer has made the argument that even though Doctor Who is science fiction, more or less, it draws more from the, um, you know, fantasy school of thought, of Victorian well, Victorian fantasy in the line of Lewis Carroll and Tolkien and Lewis, and, you know, that it has maybe more in common with those stories, even though it is a sci-fi, ostensibly. So. And...
0: And I'll 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 get to that point in a second, <laughs> but I just wanted to say that that yeah, like things like like even even shows like Star Trek, mm. I I think would be considered less hard yeah. that you know than others because you know maybe over the years you got some explanation, especially as you got additional um, you know media and 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 additional um, you know uh, TV shows and stuff that that could explain things, but especially you know, with like the, the early, the first original series, you know, it's like throw on the warp drive, yeah. you know, it's like, you don't know how the warp drive works. Yeah. You just know that it's a yes. warp, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it gets you from point A to B and it goes really yeah. fast yeah. and that kind of thing. Like that, that's sort of the, the hand-waving hocus pocus, the, you know, the, the, the famous Clark, right. Uh, any mm. sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Um, and, and, The the sort of crutch, I think, that Clark would say is not acceptable is to then say, you know, there are stories out there who just say, oh, well, it's it's a sufficiently advanced technology and I'm not going to explain it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and so it it, it essentially does have that sort of magical, fantastical feel. Um, Yeah. The other thing I would I, I would say is that. I'm not personally a big proponent of the fantasy and science fiction are two different mm. genres yeah. um, myself. So I think, I think that that means I'm sort of agreeing with Santa for sentiment yeah. here and that he's saying, you know, the stories and ideas are, are as uh, material as the realm of physical things, because I, I think that's right. And if you think about, so, you know, if, if we use the, the broader term of speculative fiction mm. that enfolds within its grasp, not only both fantasy and sci-fi, but also things like horror and, and, and sort of the Gothic fiction that, that originated all of those. uh, Well, at least the modern fantasy and modern sci-fi and horror and stuff. Um, All of which is based, like you said, on, on, um, you know, myths. And there is a sense, and actually um, Michael Drought, uh, who's a great, uh, uh, scholar in his own right. Um, he's got a series on um, I think it's the modern scholar uh, where where he, I think it's um, to inf- No, no, To Infinity and Beyond. Oh my god, I was to say that. <laughs> what, what was that? Um, from Here to we Infinity. We wouldn't have I've known there would the be a Buzz Lightyear the... reference in this
1: conversation. Yeah,
0: right, right. No, I think it's From Here to Infinity or something. I don't know, something like that. Um, that he has, that that's basically a survey of science fiction. and 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 he goes back and says, "You know there are just uh a lot of stories that that really pour into um y- y- you know these classical stories that pour into modern mm. day sci fi and whatever um you know the the uh, first ostensible you know what a lot of people consider the first uh uh science fiction story is is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, yeah. which is subtitled The Modern Prometheus, which is a reference, you know, to ancient Greek classic uh, uh, mythology. And I think the thing that is easy to ignore or forget is that those were maybe not good scientific explanations, but they were, in a sense, sort of scientific explanations of... of The way that the people understood their world, yeah, yeah they were very wrong, and we know that yeah. now. But you know, to say that, yeah, you know, it's raining, and so there's, I don't know, angels crying in heaven, like for the people's understanding at the time, that was as yeah. good of an explanation as you could get. So I think well, it's, also, I think it's sort of it wrong. It also
1: kind of undermines. You know, to say like one type of hand waving is more valid than another type. Like, now, Clark and Asimov and everyone might have a better understanding of real science than we do. But, you know, does that mean that Asimov's robots are any less, you know, no, fantastic he as anything else? He, you know?
0: He hand waved and said, oh, it's because they have these positronic range, which. Yeah is no such thing and it's even is based on physical laws that don't exist exactly. in the universe. So yeah. so so so, so there dichotomy. are It's a
1: dichotomy. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there are these – So yeah, I I know I kind of went on a whole tangent there. I mean, so one of the things that I've been working on recently is revising the the paper I've been writing on Mullock, which originated in our discussion mm-hmm. here of of Buffy and and um you know the whole the whole storyline there. But uh, again, the title's escaping me. Dang,
1: damn it. I um, Robot Eugene.
0: I Robot Eugene. Yes, of course. Uh, you know, and 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 looking throughout history, you know, going back to Milton, there's tons of literary references, yeah. you know, uh, in fantasy, in sci-fi. But the thing is, the themes stay the same. Yeah. The themes that he's associated with stay the same. Yeah. And, and I think that that's what we need to look at. It's not is not, Oh, this is fantasy and this is sci-fi and you know, one's better or not as good as the other and blah, blah, blah. They, the stories that we tell are good stories that get repeated because we need them to be told because we need to hear those stories. Um, or we need to tell the stories and sometimes we need both. (laughs) We need to both tell it and hear it at the same time. Um, you know, or to hear it so that we can tell it later or that kind right, of thing. Right. Like I, I
1: And and that I, and I, that I, the value of these are not that they present any naturalistic or plausible explanation of real world physics, but what kind of story are they telling? You know, what mm-hmm. do they tell us about ourselves and our world and our universe and everything? And so, you know, in in that way you know it can be as realistic or non as you need it to be, but that's not really the point, you know,
0: yeah well, and what what is a real yeah. story like that in itself is is almost a, a, a oxymoron yeah. because even even stories about people who actually lived aren't real exactly. stories they're yeah. they're edited they're they're you know the parts of their lives that are focused on are picked and chosen, and and you know you can't really have anything that's yeah. not in some sense a speculation. So in that respect, all fiction is speculative, mm. and even a lot of quote nonfiction is speculative. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Sandifer, he's a genius. <laughs> um, Basically. Yeah.
1: So yeah. so what would you no, say I... to um, this kind of idea of, do you think the theme of, because I've said, you know, a couple times that that's, you know, in a meta sense, storytelling is a theme in Doctor Who, that it's kind of self-aware of itself as a story, and that's going to continue on. Do you think Buffy is engaging, you know, oh, right, right. and I think, you know, obviously you, Buffy you is works for the quote in a sense that it also is a story but do you think that's a theme which it's engaged with in a, in a in any particular way and and that's not to say that's there's a problem if it's not but um you know or you know maybe i'm blindsiding you with yeah. that question and we need to think about it no no no
0: i i was just going to say do you do you mean to say that my long rambling explanation of what speculative fiction is and my, my sweeping statements about all stories being speculative didn't actually get me out of the question. Cause I was really trying to avoid answering that. No, no. Um, all right. So that's a good question is to let me restate it to make sure I understand yes. what you're asking. Is Buffy engaged in, in that sort of meta level of, of, what storytelling is. Yes. That's a great question. I would say that there are moments throughout the series where that is definitely yeah. true. I would say probably not as much as doctor who seems to be, uh, I mean, there are clearly episodes like we already mentioned El- Elton, Elton, um, you know, love and monsters yeah. where, you know, that's, clear like in your face like you can't not see it um there's you know there's an interesting story episode i think in season seven that we'll have to definitely keep love and monsters in mind for um because i think there's some some good parallels we might be able to draw there um I don't think it's the same though is is in as so far as like is it about the stories that we draw for ourselves mm-hmm. um although I think I'm trying to think of a specific example if if we've seen anything like that so far I'll tell
1: you what and I don't want to get into a big talk about next week's episode but there was one line which made me think of this uh from uh the next one which we're going to talk about which is e- earshot, earshot which is Oz's yeah. little philosophical tangent, in which he speculates <laughs> that right
0: when Buffy's reading that, his mind, that,
1: and his his conclusion that we think, therefore she is, and I and I thought mm. Mm, that has a meta kind of re- reference to it that you know the do the the writers think, and therefore Buffy is. Do we think the the viewer, and therefore mm. she is. Mm. You know, so I think yeah maybe you're right. Maybe it's not quite as Big of an overarching theme, but I think there's still those little you know occasionally there's those little hints of it, you know, and probably any extended mythology can't help but be self referential occasionally and and self and think of itself as a story and what kind of story it is and everything
0: yeah yeah i don't there, i like I said, I think there are definitely moments of that i'm i off the cuff i I'm not thinking of any that we've seen explicitly, except maybe, maybe again, going back to, um, Oh, what was the episode again with the ghosts?
1: I only have eyes (laughs) for you.
0: I only have eyes for you. My God, why am I so horrible on episode title? Like, and I'm hitting all the doctor who episode titles. It's the Buffy. I know. Come on. That's, that's bizarre. I only have eyes for you. Yes, of course. Um, I think there might be some in that, Uh, in that episode where, where we got sort of the meta idea of, yeah, there's a, you know, there's a larger story being played out here. And, and not only is it a larger story within the episode itself and within the, you you know, it's, it's a, it's a story within the episode itself. It's also a story within the larger arc of the season, Uh of course, but it's, it's um, beyond that. I think a, a, a meta story of, you know, this, the sort of pain that, that, couples go through and and breakups and and that sort of thing so i think i think i think you definitely can read it on that sort of multiple levels um there i think there's um i think it tends to be more in like quippy Mm -hmm. moments with xander maybe especially but um you, you know uh definitely some some moments in, um, there was a moment in, uh, helpless where, where Buffy says, uh, you know, if I were, if I was up to strength, I'd be playing right now, which in a sense is kind of a pun in Mm -hmm. itself, but it's also, it's that, it's that moment of realizing how horrible, you know, the, the monster is in that episode and, and sort of, the things that occur, you know, the, the heavy gender issues, the, the sexual, uh, nature of it, the, the, you know, we talked about sort of the, um, slasher, you know, motives behind it and that kind of thing. Um, you know, I think, I think that is meant to be read as a, a sort of a meta moment of like, this stuff really actually isn't that funny. and, And sometimes we do need to take a step back from realizing that this is just, A story and look at it in a larger sort of context because you know there are people like this who prey on other people yeah 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 (laughs) um and that's that's you know that's that sort of thing um so yeah i've sort of rambled a bit i i would i would leave it at that to say i don't think it's nearly uh got that same sort of meta level of this is all story i think it might be the case as we move further that we'll see some more mm-hmm. of that. Um, oh, and I would also point out, like, um, The Wish yeah. and... Yeah. And, and, uh, and the Zeppo, too. You know, the Land. Zeppo, I
1: would definitely put. Zeppo. That, that kind of... Those episodes are more... Because they're uh, playing around with the conventions of the story, that makes you more aware of the conventions of the story, you know, because they're, they're taken yeah. away. So what you expect... A normal episode to be you notice that more because it's in contrast with how things are different this week so i think those episodes are ones where i would say it's more overt that they're refer like you know conversations about how uh no one will ever know what we did you know that that's an untold mm. story you know and that it's literally true for the viewer as well you know there are a couple times i think where that peeks through
0: right right um so yeah that would be that would be sort of my take on that with buffy but uh, it's an interesting question i I, i'll be honest and and say i haven't necessarily been looking for that sort Mm -hmm. of thing um so yeah we'll we'll keep looking at it cool um and so i guess with this idea of story there's also the idea of the expanded story mm-hmm. um and and so you know getting into things that are beyond uh just the the presentations that we see in these tv series um and and we do talk a little bit from time to time about that but we haven't gotten into all of it like um i remember even just when we were setting up buffy i i mentioned the um well the original movie which is not considered canon but the script for that Mm -hmm. movie which joss whedon wrote is um and and there being a a short series of comic books that were written based on that script Mm so so technically those would be part of the canon as well um we talked about with dr who uh and blink Mm -hmm. uh how that was based on a story that moffat had written right uh and and maybe there have been other ones Uh, that that i'm human nature too was a novel oh okay oh that's right i do remember you telling me that um which and of course changed Uh, you know, the, the, the situations or the characters somewhat Mm -hmm. changed and, and all of that. But, uh, so we got in, we actually, this topic came up fairly recently because of the, the upcoming star Wars uh, movies. Mm -hmm. Um, The Disney recently announced uh, that the upcoming star Wars movies um, would, of course be Canon, but that basically they are ejecting from Canon forcefully and, with uh much vigor apparently um many of the expanded universe the the Lucas uh industries expanded universe that over the years has been considered canon at least to some degree a lot of it um and so that of course upset a lot yeah. of people and and this kind of brought about a discussion which uh I was not expecting to turn to Doctor Who and Buffy. But, <laughs> but, but I'll manage you, to turn
1: everything to Doctor Who and Buffy.
0: <laughs> but you, you did manage. And I think it's a great point because you brought up the fact that. And, and so, sorry, let me back up. I'm a huge Star Wars yeah. fan. And, as and you a kid, know much
1: more about Star Wars so, Star Wars canon than I do.
0: I was born the year that star Wars came out. So it just was in yeah. the stars. Yeah. Um, you know, right. and, So this is a deeply
1: and, ingrained part of your,
0: and I remember yeah. seeing, I remember seeing return of the Jedi in the theater. I might have also seen, um, empire strikes back yeah. in the theater, but I would have been too young to remember yeah. it. Um, cause I would have only been three at that point. Uh, but as a, as a kid and as a young adult and as a, blessed young adult um i definitely uh was reading comic books uh in fact star wars were like the only comic books i would read just because i was i loved that whole universe couldn't get enough of it i never read marvel or you know any of these others um even though i do like some of the stories that have come out since then but um a lot of the novels uh you know that came through and and so yes, I, among with it, many others were very upset when I heard that along with everything else, cause not everything in the expanded universe is great, but there are a number of great stories in that universe. Um, they were being ejected and, and you so very definitely pointed out that there is no such concept as canon in Dr. Well, Who. I
1: linked, so I um, want to link, I want to plug this fantastic blog post that everyone should go out and Google, um. From a blog called Tea Time Brutality, and if you Google the title "Canon and Sheepshit: Why We Fight," um, this should come up. But he begins his blog. I won't read the whole thing because it's very lengthy. But he he begins yeah, yeah. with a fantastic quote: "I hate the Doctor Who canon like Dawkins hates God. Like him, I'm convinced the target of my animus doesn't exist." but that doesn't stop me from spending half of my life writing about how dreadful it is. <laughs> so he goes on uh, with great humor and at great length to disprove the concept of the Doctor Who canon and kind of by extension to argue why canon as an idea is evil, I guess. <laughs> um, and yeah, and yeah. I mean, the, the, the point, it it kind of boils down to a couple of things. One is that there is no Doctor Who canon because Anybody in the position to enforce a canon, namely the the show the various showrunners over the course of the history, have neglected to do that. So, you know Moffat mm-hmm. and Davies have both at various points said we are not enforcing a canon. And in fact, Moffat goes so far as to say, I think like he said something something like it's impossible for a story about yeah. a time traveling, dimension hopping, immortal to have a canon so don't even worry about it and and you know uh and then I guess his point being why that's a good thing because to to say to group to groups of people that love these stories you know your the things you cherish are less valid than whatever we happen to determine is you know canon is kind of a a, a nasty way to treat your fans you know so th- what they've opted to do is just not say anything and um and let you know let everything sort of just happen um and mm. so you get not only what's on tv you get novelizations of tv episodes um you get spin off novels which are original stories you get comics you get audio adventures um you get yeah. All sorts of, you know, mini-episodes, and some of these do contradict each other, you know, or suggest alternate readings or, like, Blink or, like, Human Nature. They might even rewrite particular stories. But the, because there has never been an established preference of one thing over the other... um it's, it just is almost a non-issue. And maybe Doctor Who lends itself to this because it's so engaged with that meta theme of stories. So it doesn't like to say mm. any of this is realer than that over there, you know? <laughs> um, right, right. and so it just reminded me of the Star Wars issue because it seems to me that that's a very similar thing that you've had these stories, which are from a couple decades ago. And that in the intervening time before new movies come out, you've had all this spin-off media. Um, so it's, I think, you know, the Star Wars fans are going through what Doctor Who fans would have gone through had Russell Davies said, okay, I'm bringing Doctor Who back. And all those novels that you were reading for 15 years don't count anymore. Um, and what I'm going to write is, you know, what matters, I guess. Um, and yeah, some of the spin-off media is better or worse, but you know what, some of the episodes are better or worse too. It doesn't necessarily, you know, we can't only make canon the things which are successful, you know. <laughs> so, um, Yeah, right,
0: right. Anyway,
1: I just thought right. it reminded me of that situation and it's almost that the Star Wars had the opportunity to be inclusive and annoyingly they seem to be um not going that direction. So,
0: well, and and especially since, and I think in that article he he outlined some of the difficulties with Star Wars, um, a, along with other fandoms um, and their canon. And and I had to admit, he made a really good point, especially <laughs> given my love for Star Wars. And I still, you know, I still like those stories. Yeah. I'm not going to avoid them just because. Just because you know, JJ a- Abrams tells you differently. Just because our corporate disney overlords tell us what we should believe no um you know i i he made a good point because even even before there was a sort of weird hierarchical you know the movies take precedence over everything and then underneath that is kind of these novels and so long as they didn't conflict with the movies it was okay but then beneath them were sort of like these the the comic books and the role-playing games and then like way at the bottom you had kind of this other crap like you know the 1978 star wars christmas special that you know where you had wookies appearing on stage with you know whatever i don't like you know so so there was like yeah there was like this really bizarre sort of hierarchy so on the one sense it does make make sense to just say you know what there's not a canon and we're going to try to just tell the best stories that we can in the ways that we know how and some of them might go together. Mm-hmm. Some of them might not. If you can't reconcile that, that's your issue, not yeah. ours. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And and I will have to admit that because there have been a few episodes where I've, I've mentioned that I've had a little harder swallowing with Doctor mm-hmm. Who because of sort of the looseness of yeah. the science or the whatever. Yeah. And um, that's not
1: always that kind of messiness and, isn't always to everybody's taste, admittedly.
0: Right. And 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 I think part of part of just my personality is that I do like to have things that are said like this is part of the universe and not just because it's, you know, someone saying, oh, you know, this is authoritatively is or isn't. But but because I do maybe like to have those sort of complex systems. And then you say, Oh, okay, well, how does that work yeah. exactly? And, and, and how do these things sort of interrelate and stuff? And so to not have that does feel a little at times with Dr. Who, um, well, to use a really technical t- term, uh, Lucy goosey, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, there, there's just, it's just kind of like, well, wait a minute, but this happened before. How can this other thing be happening yeah. now? and, and, I I think that me with my reaction to it has definitely gotten better. And that's not to say I didn't, I haven't liked Doctor Who all along, but um, I think maybe if we go back to my use of the word interesting, that might be, uh, you know, one of those reasons why, why I say that sort of thing is because I, I do sometimes have to process that and sort of get past the fact that it doesn't necessarily make sense. Uh from from like a strict, you know, like a rigid rule based scientific perspective or, or even from like a internally consistent mm-hmm. story perspective. So when I when I'm thinking about things, it, it may be because, you know, I've been thinking about it in maybe a, a stricter sense mm-hmm. than would have been or should have been adopted. Uh and that sort of thing. Yeah.
1: And I think that's so, not to say that Doctor Who doesn't have internal reference and any consistency at all because you can only have episodes like school reunion with sarah jane if it means something that she used to travel with the doctor and now she doesn't it's not like it's not like every story is a world unto its own and there's no sense of history you know i think they've Mm -hmm. just elected not to when there are contradictions they've elected not to prefer one over the other um you know, which, you know, doesn't always sit well with those of us who... And I'm the well, same way. I mean, I loved, you know, uh, you know, I think of, you know, my love for Tolkien and looking at, like, lists of dates and names and maps and all these things. And I like the sense of a cohesive, unified world, that that's an attract... Especially in, like, fantasy and sci-fi, that's part of why you love it, is that sense of, you know, real grounded history and progress and everything. Right. And yeah. depth.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, um, and I think, so I was just thinking I, there was um, one, one episode recently, and I can't remember which episode it is where um, the doctor, you know, says he can't use his sonic screwdriver because it doesn't work on wood yeah. where we've clearly seen him use it with wooden, you know, things before, um, I'm thinking of, like, uh, you know, um, the this, this Cybermen where he, like, gives Pete the sonic screwdriver and they're on this, like, wooden rope ladder. And it, like, right, you know,
1: right. <laughs> yeah. causes
0: the ladder to, like, break apart and fall. Well, okay. That's fine. Yeah. You just have to sort yeah, of roll yeah, with yeah. it. And, 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 and. You know, you you go with it, and those are the and those are relative. That sort of things relative. Yeah, the yeah. But, and some of
1: that is just the um, nature of this isn't Tolkien writing the story, or even Joss Whedon directing a story. That these are multiple writers yeah, over right. multiple years. It has again. I would bring the anthologized aspect back into that. Some of those little inconsistencies are because you don't have a yeah. an author. I guess drive. There's nobody driving the bus. It's more you know, passing,
0: careening and, on its or, own or
1: pass or people are driving it in quick succession of each other, you know? And so sure, there's those little sure. bits of messiness. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I well, also and... like, I like, I think you're going to quote from Tolkien pretty soon, but the other thing I like about <laughs> Tolkien's approach to all this is that I love, and maybe this is a good lead into Whedon too, because I think Whedon's known as the king of sort of retcon, right? Um, And um, one of the things I love about Tolkien's approach to this is that when he would later contradict himself, he wouldn't just let the contradiction sit. He would find a way of having both things be true and somehow making them reconcile. That, you know, rather rather than in a you know, strict canonical sense say, well, this new story trumps the old one and the old the old one doesn't count anymore. He would say, you know, well, how is it that both of these could be true? Maybe these are two different accounts of the same, like these are conflicting accounts of the same event. or, Or, you know, from one person's perspective, it's this, but from, you know, the dwarves think this, but the elves think this. Or, you know, that mm-hmm. he finds ways of, having contradiction, but also being inclusive, um, which I think is a neat, that's probably the most satisfying way to go about it, you know, is to not just throw out half of your stories, you know, just because they don't quite fit the same way anymore, but also not to like, to find ways of making them both be valid, and both be, I guess, real, um, in a fictional sense. So, that's, to me, you know, the most interesting and satisfying and everything. Um,
0: yeah, I think so. Yeah. So talking about retconning. Oh, man.
1: And I know we haven't seen a lot of retcon yet. So there's, maybe that's there, a conversation no, no, no. for later. Well, here,
0: here, here, here's the thing. So there, is, there has been retconning already in yeah. Buffy. So we can definitely mention those. But there's... There will be, um, in both Buffy and Angel, there will be moments where things get completely thrown out of line and you don't learn until later Yeah. what exactly happened. So, the question is, was that planned all along? Maybe. I don't know. It's yeah. hard to say. Or was it, like you said, coming back and explaining? There's some where you, you almost feel like it had to have been because it's such a big change. Yeah that it would have had to have been, but, but there's definitely others. Um, a couple instances that I can, that I can mention from Buffy. So, I mean, we open up with the premise of the story is that, you know, Sunnydale is on a hell mouth that, you know, it's a mouth directly to hell and that, that there's this whatever by season two, it's not hell, but a hell dimension. You know what I mean? Like there's no, there's no idea of like, heaven earth and hell you know where it's like this supernatural place rather it's a little bit more scientific Mm -hmm. explanation again still very rooted in fantasy but but it becomes you know a little bit more explanation of well it's not really hell that people go to it's it's really more of a different dimension in this multiverse kind Mm -hmm. of thing and so so in that sense it actually does kind of get closer to doctor Mm -hmm. who Right. Because then you start to think, well, OK, there are these these alternate universes, mm-hmm. whatever. And then you get to episodes like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The wish.
0: Yeah. And doppelganger line where, where you have people crossing over one from the other. So yeah. so, you, you know, and and it's hard to say because, you know. I I don't know that. How did that happen? by magic
1: yeah
0: Yeah. (laughs) you know what i mean like like yeah like there's there you know there well it was magical they said some words and yeah that's what happened you know or a demon came along and she had this pendant which was able to do it for some odd reason so like that that sort of thing definitely happens in buffy um
1: yeah but but even that is more of the tolkien school that i don't think it it wasn't like oh, we just pretend season one never happened. Or season one, does. doesn't right, it's right, more right. that, well, we call it the Hellmouth, but that wasn't quite a nuanced enough explanation of what it was. And maybe calling yeah. it the Hellmouth is sort of a metaphor for what it is. Or it seems to me that if Buffy was just going to be one season, yeah. then having it be the Mouth to Hell made sense. But when you want to do further stories... You can't have every season be the battle about opening the Hellmouth. You have to let the story go other places. So you have to make that only one potential source of evil and expand the universe to be, you know, I guess deeper and more complicated Mm -hmm. than that. So it's not that it, it doesn't like, it's not like they throw out the old story. It's that they make, they make a new story in which the old one, it gets included, you know? And it still has that sort of... You know, is it retcon? That didn't but happen yeah, season it is retcon one. in the sense that it is retroactive. You don't get that sense mm-hmm. in that season that that's what's going on, but it still makes sense. It's still inclusive. It's still continuous. Yep,
0: yeah. it didn't happen with season one. You're right, but it did happen with the original movie. That's true. They did. They did that exact what exactly what you're yeah. saying is nope. You know, this was made. You know, whatever five six years yeah. ago. We're no longer going to deal with that, um, and and literally said that that's not that's not right. Yeah. Um. So so and and there are now. See, I'm not at some. I I've read Buffy season eight, mm-hmm. which is the comic book extension of the TV mm-hmm. series, um, and they're actually on season ten now. So there's okay. also been a season nine, and and they're publishing a season ten. So um and actually uh uh um xander there what 's his name nicholas uh uh yeah. brandon is uh actually one of the writers for oh, season cool. ten so there's there there there's an interesting yeah. sort of meta yeah, element absolutely. for you um and and actually bringing up uh xander the meta element that we've mentioned before is that Whedon always has a mm. sort of Whedon character yeah. so so if and that might be, like I mentioned, you know, the quippy sort of stuff would tend to be the stuff that's the meta commentary yeah. it because we're we're supposed to see Xander not as Whedon, but as a Whedon esque sort of yeah. character. Um, but but there is expanded material for Buffy. Um, there are other comic books that are not part of. So Angel also has a post TV series comic that is yeah. canon. Um, It's not called season uh, seven or six or whatever it is. It's um, called After the Fall. But uh, Angel does have that. Um, And there are other comic books with other characters that have some canonical. I won't tell you who those characters are because I don't want to um, give you that. However, there are some definitely some comic books and and stuff that don't. So there's, there's some spike focused comics that are not considered, um, canonical. Mm -hmm. Um, there, there are actually some other angel storylines that, um, that, that were continued, um, but were cut off, uh, because in part of seasons 8 and 9 mm. where they had angel doing other things i so i'm sort of i mean i'm giving away the fact that angel continues to live i don't know that that's a huge spoiler um considering that the series angel goes yeah. on a year longer yeah. than buffy um a year later i shouldn't say longer it's actually the as a series it's shorter right. but um there's a number of quote historical comics um, that are not considered can- canonical and they kind of look at the history of slayers and um some of even the characters who are long lived uh-huh. and have um you know been in existence before there's there's a whole series of buffy like one-off comics and and some others um, by brian lynch who was a famous comic writer um that uh that focus on various characters too. So, so there's definitely some stuff. Um, there are some, also some novels, um, which I think the most of them are actually considered non canonical. Um, there's some video games and that sort of thing. So, so when you get out of, uh, yeah, when you do get out of these, these, um, TV, the TV series, mm-hmm. it actually quickly sort of degrades. Like there's some comics that are included and then like
1: yeah.
0: most everything else. There's actually um, a comic that's set way into the future that is considered canonical. <laughs> um, so it's, it becomes really sort of weird. And I think, and of, you're right. I
1: think of the quote from the tea time brutality article that I linked to that says one of his points against it is it seems like a lot of work. <laughs> like keeping it straight, you know, <laughs> it is,
0: it is in a way. Yeah, it is in a
1: way. And, that's and, I, and just, I agree. You know, that. and that's like I said, I, 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 I'm sure, but
0: as I was reading um, his article, like I said, it, you're right. It does. It does get into sort of this, what is, what isn't, what's sort of almost what maybe kind of could yeah. be, you know, and that sort of thing. So, so you do get into that, but I think there's a certain, there's also a
1: pleasure to be had in that. There's a pleasure to be had in, right. in, in there is a pleasure in to the... be had work isn't necessarily a bad word. You know, that that there's part of the idea of being a fan, especially a fan that goes online, is putting work into your your media. You know, like doing research that we do for discussions of episodes. You know, that's work, but it's fun. You know, so part of the fun of the idea of canon is assembling all the pieces into a whole and see how they fit, you know.
0: And, and so part of that, so for, for Whedon uh, verse stuff, or at least Buffy verse stuff, I assume this is also the case in other Whedon creations. Um, Basically the rule is if Joss had a hand in it, now that doesn't mean he necessarily wrote or directed Mm -hmm. or whatever, but it, he at least had some sort of maybe story or production or, or something along those lines, um, editorial control or whatever, then it is. So, so again, you have like all these comics that were written by other people, which were, you know, I guess licensed. I mean, they were licensed to write them, yeah. of course, but like that Whedon didn't really approve or have any sort of direct hand in. Um, and that's, you know, that's considered non canon Right. So, And again,
1: I think that is the difference of a story which is conceived of by a single author as opposed to something which is more right. in the collective consciousness um
0: well and like and like I was doctor who say, so, even
1: though it's bbc property doctor who is almost more public domain than buffy is you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> at at this point it is although i guess at at that'll some change, point in yeah. the past well in the past that'll change no in the past that was not the case, I guess. Well, and and it's still
1: not technically the case. I mean, Dr. Who is a BBC licensed property, so it's not.
0: Yeah. But, but corporate corporate production isn't the same Marvel universe expanded, not accepted. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think
1: Dr. Who was ever, ever had an author in the sense that Buffy did, because it was actually created by the idea was, From a producer at the BBC who said, I want a TV show, a sci-fi TV show for kids that's going to have sci-fi adventure and teach them about history. And so he hired a, you know, he's a BBC executive. He hires a producer to get the work done. He, you know, she then hires a series like a story editor, a series of script writers and directors and actors and they made Doctor Who, and so there is no right, single well author. You know, you can't say it's the same as when Joss said, "I have this idea for the character of Buffy, and I want to tell a story about her." It, it, it. Are there not? Nothing is completely different, but I think I don't think you can point to any single yeah, I mean, author I... in the same way that you can to you, Joss Whedon. You... I mean, you know more about Doctor
0: Who history than me, so I will defer. I guess my only thought would be that there was one person who had the control of the show. Now, it seems like maybe they gave up that control pretty quickly. And so that's maybe what your point is. Well, but the
1: person who uh, had the control was Verity Lambert, who was the producer. She was the one hiring... You know, she had the most influence, I think, on what the concept of Doctor Who was. Right, but
0: Joss Whedon is the right. producer. but but you she know, didn't. Of, of but Buffy. she didn't
1: write the scripts. Um,
0: right, but Joss Whedon doesn't write all the scripts either. Well, so but that, he, I guess but that's he wrote my...
1: the movie. He wrote the pilot. He directed the writers' room. I just think there's a difference between.
0: And and the difference is that that she didn't take that control. She she gave it away. Well,
1: I think it was more. I just think the level of. Collaboration was a slightly different thing than, I think. Joss is more. Does he have collaboration with people? Of course, but he's more of an auteur in that way. than um, I think. Okay. I I, that would be you know, and I think that makes difference. That makes a difference in terms of. And, you know, and
0: I suspect that there was a difference at the time, just even in the conception of what a show is, yeah. and there was probably not the idea of its longevity and the need. And and like we discussed, there wasn't really a need for the consistency because they just sort of assumed people would forget stuff. So I understand what you're saying. I'm not a hundred percent convinced that the control wasn't there, that, that they couldn't have perhaps made it a little more, um, you know, whatever from yeah. the beginning. That's not an argument to say they should yeah. have or that that it's bad the way that they did it. I'm just saying that the the difference seems to be, to me, mm. again, admittedly not knowing a lot about the history of Doctor Who, the difference seems to be that that control was given up early in the beginning um, when someone could have taken the reins. And that's not to say, that, again, that they should have, just that that that's the difference that that Joss Whedon here is retaining that control. And that's why we have. Yeah. And, and see, this is, this is the hard part for me because while I understand the argument of why not having a Canon can be a good thing, I guess I also would disagree with the argument that Canon is necessarily a, a a bad thing. Sure it did not work out so well in Star yeah. Wars. I can still cross my fingers that it works out much better in yeah. Whedon, uh, in, in his works and the continuation of the Buffy story and yeah. all of that. Um, yeah, You know, while at the same time pointing out that there are non-canonical works out there. So it's not like it prevents, Yeah, you know, other stories from being told. And, and I guess given your sort of tolerance for, uh you know do you have to have something that works well mm-hmm. you know as a cohesive unit if not hey there's other stuff too you know yeah um so yeah, yeah. um what so we, we we you 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 spilt the beans that i was going to have a uh Tolkien quote and i did have one all okay. prepared um the quote is from his letter to Milton Waldeman where um just sort of for background he this is in his uh, phase where he's trying to sell the idea of the Silmarillion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and he's working on, I think, Lord of the Rings at the time. Or Yeah. I, I think he exactly. was hoping, uh, he was
1: hoping that he could publish the Silmarillion with the Lord of the Rings. So I think this is one yeah, of his or at least to do that.
0: As a companion yeah, volume yeah, yeah. or yeah. something. And so he's, he's sort of given his very, lengthy account of his philosophy of what it means to write um, you know, the the stories that he's writing and sort of his idea. And and this is where he talks about, you know, creating a mythology for England and all of that. Um and there's there's one great line where he said, um, the cycles, the the stories that later become the Silmarillion, uh, should be linked to a majestic whole and yet leave scope for other minds and other hands, wielding paint and music and drama. Um and that is a really yeah. good quote. And I think it's funny because you said you, you thought that the Whedon stuff was more like Tolkien. But I think in this respect, this is much more like yeah. Doctor Who and uh, in the conception yeah. of it. And and I think, um, yeah, I think with Tolkien... I think
1: Tolkien's own approach might be closer to Whedon. But this is definitely a call to more of the expanded universe, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, and it, and it's it's the idea that that he's going to, yeah, he's going to take his time and get what he wants to get. Right. Of course he ends up just playing around with stuff for a long time and not really ending up publishing all that much of it. Most of what we have is comes after the fact, including the Silmarillion, which he was here trying to get published. Um, So, but the, but, but it's funny because it's sort of an ironic uh, situation in that, you know he said he he says the statement but yes like you mentioned his actual work was not um reflective of this but you also get the sense that because he spent so much time on things now you have all these different versions of stories that he wanted to tell and you end up basically coming up with an expanded mm-hmm. universe of you know, the 12 histories of the, the history of yeah. middle earth um, that, that, that Christopher Tolkien published where you, have, not to mention unfinished tales and, you know, tales from the perilous mm-hmm. realm and, and all all this other stuff where, where you have all these different versions of stories that essentially work more like fantasy and, and Dr. Mm-hmm. Who. Well, I mean, Tolkien is fantasy, so yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. a huge leap, but but work more like Doctor Who, where you do have have these different versions of stories, and work like more traditional fairy tales where you have retellings, yeah. you know, you have Sir Orpheo, which is retelling the Orpheus myth, and and you know, um Shakespeare who retold all kinds of classic and and uh mythological stories and that sort of thing. Yeah. So definitely um Definitely sort of plays into that. And it, and it is funny that you see both sides of it just in, in the one yeah, yeah. author. No, that's himself. true.
1: And that's always what I think of with Tolkien, too, when people kind of, you know, decry how awful the movies are or how bad the fan fiction is or whatever. And it's like, you know, are they canonical in the same sense that Tolkien's writings are? No. And would Tolkien have liked any of that? probably not maybe not who can say but um <laughs> but here it is in his own words that he's inviting the viewer or the reader to come join him in his creative endeavors like i'm going to build this structure for you to play in you know and it doesn't just have to be a you know a a you know dictatorship there can be room for other minds and hands to come in and, you know, fill in the gaps and tell spin off stories right. or tell backstories, you know. Right. So.
0: And it doesn't necessarily have to matter whether it's part of the mind of the original creator to have yeah. done whatever gets done in those stories. And many times. It's very clear that it wouldn't have yeah. been in the mind of the Creator to have certain characters do certain yeah. things, and, and I think that's that's hard okay. for
1: us to to that's hard for modern people to grasp because we have it such a sense of ownership of intellectual property nowadays, which is kind of yeah. the way things yeah, are but all you have to do is go nobody I don't know anybody that considers certain stories of, for example, Arthurian literature more canon than other stories. There's, you know, you can tell that story how many times, thousands of times, with thousands of contradictions, doing all sorts of things, but does that mean that, you know, the Mort to Arthur is more canon than the once and future king? You know, I don't think so. No. You know, I don't know anybody. Or or if that's the case, does that mean that the Mortar Arthur is less canon than some of its source material? Certainly nobody would say yeah. that. So, you know, when you get enough distance, that's, I think, when you realize how uh, some of these arguments are a little, not uninteresting, but in, in hindsight, how much are they really going to matter, you know? Um, that the sense of many minds contributing to the same story is what's important. Yeah.
0: Well, and right, and you get you get things like, um so yeah, you, you mentioned Arthur's story and clearly that's been around around a long time. But then you even get like newer yeah. quote stuff that's still, you know, a hundred years old because of freaking copyright yeah. laws. But you get things like HP Lovecraft, yeah. where, you know, there yep. are people writing all kinds yep. of uh you know, different yeah. versions of of tales and Lovecraftian becomes, you know, a whole uh, genre an idea. in its own. And
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. So um Right. It's
1: like it's like yeah, once I, once Tolkien enters the public domain, are we gonna have Middle earth fiction in the same sense that we have Lovecraftian stories? Well, we might.
0: And and in a sense we already do, because that's sort of since Tolkien, the sort of the joke for the you know, the, the fantasy writer is that every fantasy writer has to deal with Tolkien yep. in some way. Right. Um, you, even if you're explicitly trying to yeah, ignore yeah. Tolkien, you're, you're addressing, you're Tolkien. Tolkien to you know him. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, like you, and even if you've never read Tolkien and don't even know who he is, if you've read anything written after, Tolkien, you know, yeah. whatever, 1930 whatever. whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you, you can't, not have run into something that was influenced by him. So, so it's just, yeah, it's, it's that, it's that whole idea that like, you don't even have to wait for copyright because you're already dealing in, it might not be the same characters. It might not be the same names, the situations, whatever. And, and let's be honest, Tolkien stole half of his stuff,
1: you know, from from even older stories.
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the stories that he, liked best were from medieval classic yep. tales you know and so or elements from yeah. them anyway so so you you really can't get to a point where you define something canonically we've already talked about you know i, I mentioned moloch mm-hmm. and with yeah. buffy you know i about eugene there Ooh, i remembered at that time <laughs> um yeah and, or and, all the other the fact, are
1: there all the other hard you know tropes that buffy's traded on you know since we've started yeah exactly you know
0: so, you know, there's, there's, you know, canonical, the idea of canonical can only go so far. Um, I think the important thing, and I think the thing that both of these, uh, you, you know, uh, shows do and, and the expanded universe is the stories, both of them, um, you know, really what it's about is, is that appeal to people and how does it, how does it touch you and how do you relate to it and how do you share it with other fans? And it's that creation of the fandom that is really what it's about. And, and that's why we love them. You know, that's why we love these stories. It's not, you know, at the end of the day, yes, it can be fun to say, you know, have arguments about whether, one thing or another should be included in a canon, but really in the long run, it's because you're already in bed with the story. You've already accepted that the story in the larger sense, um, you know, is, is, is something that you care about and something that you want to, um, you know, continue uh, to have as part of your life. And that's why we've spent the last year doing a podcast on it you know and that's why we're going to spend probably another year yeah. and beyond yeah. uh you know doing more podcasts so um we've we've reached sort of our time limit um actually we've yeah. exceeded it a little and i think come uh, to
1: a nice concluding point for today
0: yeah yeah i i like that so any any last thoughts
1: uh no just that i've enjoyed year 1 looking forward to year 2
0: very well, well, um, it won't be a year till you hear no. us again. in fact, it'll probably just be a few days because we'll have a new yeah. episode yeah. on monday but uh until then I guess we'll uh we'll we'll uh jump in both feet to the next episodes.
1: <laughs> All right, see you then.